We are carrying on in our new series of looking at living sacrifices and what that means. Romans 12 is that point in the book of Romans where Paul moves from his theological teaching, reminding his readers of all that God has done, to his practical teaching. And hence, verse 1 starts with, therefore. Uh, last week, uh, Keith at the 9 o'clock and Niv here at the 10.30 um, helped us to look at the first part of Paul's passionate entreaty to the believers in Rome and us, of course, that we should present our whole selves to God, not just once, but continually, and that this represents both our personal and corporate worship. He now moves on to his second entreaty, which is about the transformation of our minds, such that we no longer conform to this world, but are so in touch and tune with God that we're able to know his will in our lives. In challenging us not to be conformed to the prevailing culture of the time, but to be transformed, Paul uses, for both words, the pin your ears back there, the present passive imperative verb, which more simply put, means that we are to go on doing so. Just as we're to continually present our whole selves to God as a living sacrifice, we're also to continually reject conformity to the world in which we live and continually seek to transform our minds. So Paul tells us in verse 2 what we are not to do, which is conform, what we are to do, which is to be transformed, and the purpose, which is that we might know God's will for our lives. So let's consider each of these in turn. First of all, do not conform. The idea of being set apart and different is not a new message and is a recurring theme throughout the Old and New Testaments. Paul's Jewish readers would have been familiar with God's command to the Israelites in Leviticus 18, verse 3. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live, and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. Jesus, observing the false devotion and hypocrisy of the Pharisees and pagans, tells his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, do not be like them. It's Matthew 6, verse 8. And we read in Paul's letters different challenges regarding behaviours in the churches that he's writing to that were inconsistent with the faith in God and conformed more to the pagan beliefs and idol worship that had characterised the previous lives of the new believers. Please forgive me if you've heard me use this illustration before, but it bears repeating. This question appeared in a police officer's exam. You come across three crash cars. One has a drunk driver, another is full of explosives, 
and the third contains your chief constable with another man's wife. Also, coming down the road in one direction is a mob of angry hooligans, and in the other, just coming round the corner, is a gang of armed, masked raiders. What do you do? One enterprising young officer wrote, take off uniform and mingle with the crowd. Of course, the easy option is to mingle with the crowd, to be like a chameleon that takes its colour from its surroundings, to conform to the patterns of behaviour of the world and those around us. Paul's challenge to the believers in Rome, to the other churches he wrote to, and to us today, is to be different, to refuse to conform and in doing so stand out as what are the perceived norms of this age. The J.B. Phillips translation of this verse, which many of you will be familiar with, says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mould, which might suggest to some a gentle, almost unnoticeable at first pressure. That pressure is around us all the time. Some of this is obvious, but there are many pressures which are more subtle in the way in which they seek to shape our thinking and behaviours. Indeed, there is a huge industry of advertising and marketing built around trying to shape the way that we think and behave so that we'll buy specific products or believe certain things. And whenever the next election comes around, millions of pounds in this country and hundreds of millions of pounds in the United States will be spent trying to persuade us to a particular political point of view. By our very nature, as we look to others for guidance, as examples we can follow. As parents, we want our children to have good role models to look up to and copy. I can remember being hugely relieved on meeting my children's friends and realising they were going to be a good influence on them. The growth in our communication capabilities and its accessibility to anyone and everyone has led to a huge increase in the numbers of what are described as social media influencers. Whilst not all bad, they can be cover found covering all aspects of life, from business to health to uh, travel to food. These are people whose views are considered worthy of listening to, who are followed by millions and may well themselves be earning millions from product endorsements. As I was thinking about uh, this, I looked up what is the YouTube top 10 list, rich list, they call it. And the er earnings uh, in 2021 ranged from number one on the list with earnings of 39 million pounds to number 10 on the list with a considerably less earnings of only 11 million pounds. On that top 10 list was a 10-year-old who reviews toys and earned last year 19 million pounds. That's the world in which we live. Uh, before we congratulate ourselves on not falling prey to any of these worldly influencers, we should recognise that the Christian community 
is not immune to looking for role models and being attracted to those speakers or churches that present particular views or styles of worship. Uh, we too can follow particular individuals or groups on YouTube or on blogs, forgetting that the programming of the sites will simply suggest more of the same to us, feeding our likes but doing less for our rational discernment. Sadly, there are too many examples of where the package and the presentation have masked serious flaws in the message that is being proclaimed. Please hear me, there is much that is good and we know that the technology itself is neutral and its use has helped to bring Christ into people's homes and lives, not least in the last couple of years. However, we must never forget that there are ultimately only two patterns to shape our lives upon, either the world's or Christ's, and there is ongoing conflict between the two. Satan is described by Jesus in John 12, verse 31, as the prince of this world, and by Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, as the God of this age. Whilst God is supreme and is the ultimate authority, we need to recognise that the major influence on the ideals, opinions, goals, hopes and views of the majority of people in our world does not come from God. Satan's influence, or at least the absence of God's influence, is also to be seen in much of the world's philosophies, beliefs, education and commerce. There's a battle going on for what is considered moral, acceptable, truthful or even just normal. That battle is throughout the world, but it's also being waged within our own minds. What do we consider the right thing to do? What is the truth that we should uphold? What is the morality and standards that should govern our lives? That's why Paul challenges us not to conform to the pattern of the world, for it's in direct opposition to God's values and truth, but instead to allow God's spirit to renew our minds. So, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It is possible to be a Christian and still not see everything from a Christian perspective because of a mind enslaved to other perspectives. Paul is saying that just as our bodies must be yielded to God by an act of will, so our minds must be renewed and our thinking must be transformed if we're to be fully in God's will. The good news is that when we come to faith in Jesus, when we become children of God, our human hearts undergo a fundamental change. But we don't become instantly perfect. Far from it. There's still the pressure to conform to the world. And whilst our minds are no longer set on what the flesh desires, there's the ongoing struggle between our old sinful nature and its accompanying mindset and our new life in Christ. The key to escaping the grip of conformity is the transformation of our minds. 
The verb that Paul uses here for transformed is the Greek word metamorpho, from which we get our word metamorphosis. It's the same verb used by Matthew and Mark in their Gospels when they describe the transfiguration of Jesus. When Peter, James and John saw something of the splendour and majesty of God in the person of Jesus as a complete change came over him. The only other time that that particular verb is used is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, where Paul writes, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It's God's Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that is at work within us helping us to see the world for what it is, allowing us not only to see God's way for our lives, but also to follow it, and slowly but surely making us more like Christ. We're not promised that this process of transformation will be easy or quick, but we are now able, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to set our minds on what the Spirit desires. Uh, the mind is not supreme, as the great Greeks would have believed, but is the basis of our decision-making and will direct our bodies. When we become a Christian, we turn to Christ and repent. There is that sense of a change of mind and change of direction. It is the mind that plays a key part in our presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice each day. Just as offering our lives is an ongoing and daily occurrence, so too is the transforming of our minds. The challenge is also to allow God's Spirit to transform all parts of our minds. We must resist the temptation to compartmentalise our lives and our minds and only allow God access to those parts that we don't mind Him transforming and keep back the parts that we'd rather He didn't touch. There's no partial transformation on offer here. It's either nothing or the whole package. The kind of transformation, transformation we're talking about can only happen as the Holy Spirit changes our thinking through consistent study of and thinking on God's word, the Bible. The renewed mind is one that's soaked in and controlled by the word of God. It's only then that we're able to see the pattern of this age for what it is, and we can reject the lure of conformity and let the Holy Spirit guide and shape our thoughts and behaviours. So, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his pleasing and perfect will. So what we have here is a process of transformation. We replace our old way of thinking and acceptance of and conformity to the pattern of this age with a new perspective that's in line with God's point of view. We focus our minds on the study of God's word, allowing his spirit to embed it in our hearts and apply it to our lives. And slowly but surely, 
we begin to recognise God's will more and more. We're able to hold our own thoughts and actions, as well as the words and actions of others, up against the mirror of Scripture and test what is consistent with God's word and what is not. The more we immerse ourselves in God's word with the Spirit's prompting and guiding, then the more we see of God's truth, the more we understand his will, and the more we learn of his ways. God's command to Joshua on his installation as a leader for the people of Israel is equally applicable to us. We read in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you'll have success. So what might we do? Some practical thoughts. I think firstly, we need to consider carefully and review what we read, listen to, and watch. We need to expose it to the light of Scripture. In our modern tech-savvy culture that we live in, we're being constantly bombarded by information and political ideologies, assorted worldviews from all over, and this is happening all of the time. We might compare our minds to a computer. The output of a computer is only as good as the data that's loaded in it. In computer jargon, there is the term GIGO, G-I-G-O, meaning garbage in, garbage out. And the same can be pretty much true for the human mind. So what are we putting into our minds? If we haven't already done so, we need to take control of what goes into our mind and, if necessary, be active in reprogramming our minds so we see things as God sees them. Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 4, verse 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Of course, our own spiritual rhythm of life, our own practices are really, really important. That practice of spending time with God, of talking to him, of listening to him and studying his word. That's the time where we give him opportunity to shape us, to mould us, and to transform us. I wonder how can we, as a body of believers, support one another? Paul, in writing to the Hebrews, had this to say in chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. We're running our third devoted series this term. And it's something that we hope and believe that we can do together, uh, whether that's uh, in the Wednesday evening group that meets here in church 
and some join us online, whether it's in your normal small group or whether it's in some other way. Together, the plan is that we all study the same theme and passage with a really clear focus on both deepening our understanding of God's word, but also seeking to practically apply it and hold one another accountable in so doing. If you're not in a small group or able to come on a Wednesday evening or join us online on a Wednesday evening for the six-week period of our devoted uh, focus, then why not arrange to meet with one or two other people over a coffee and use the notes that will be available uh, each week to dig into the passages and actually see how they might apply uh, to you. That's something that we can do together corporately. Let me leave you with a final thought. All of us are shaped and moulded by people and events, but there's only one mould by which every Christian should be shaped. That's the mould and model of Jesus Christ. We're to be stamped with his image and shaped by his spirit. Amen. Amen.